Welcome to Unheard Voices. This is Andrew Manier. This is a continuation of the previous episode that I recorded with my co-host, Jesse Burridge, in which we began our dissection of the social media posts of Pastor Greg Locke. If you haven't already, please listen to part one, in which we discuss Locke's biography, the biblical foundations of his worldview, as well as our discussion about his stances on the topics of LGBTQ issues, racism, policing in America, the practice of Islam in America, immigration, abortion, and gun control. Once again, all clips of Locke in this episode are excerpts from his various social media videos, and as before, links to the original videos will be posted in the episode description, so listeners can check to make sure that we're not misrepresenting Locke through editing. In this episode, we will document Locke's dive down the rabbit hole of right-wing extremism, starting with his stance on the place of religion and government, and his disapproval of the idea of separation of church and state. All that being said, we're going to jump right into our first clip. So a church just canceled my speaking engagement simply because they said I was too politically controversial, whatever that means. You see, we've been lied to in America, and we believe that pastors and preachers don't have a voice, and they've been backed into a corner of silence, and that because we bow down to the golden idol of our 501c3 status, which, by the way, we do not violate by speaking out, we have this idea that we are not able to be part of the process or to allow the people that follow us to have a voice and be part of that process. Nothing could be further from the truth. There's not one Old Testament or New Testament preacher that was God-fearing or God-called or worth his salt that did not cry against the political corruption of their day and get involved in the process. We have the biggest national voice in the United States of America. Over 17 million evangelical Bible-believing Christians, they know that we can have in office anybody that we want to, and they're afraid that we're going to use our platforms of truth to begin to talk about politics, which does not violate the Constitution, because separation of church and state is nowhere to be found in that document whatsoever. We do have a voice. We should use that voice. So Christians, let's vote. And preachers, let's allow our voices to be heard. People are watching us, listening to us, and following us. And we should harness that power and authority and use it wisely. If only they were using it wisely. Right. Now... I had found this clip early into my exploration of Locke's video catalog and had unfortunately neglected to copy the URL into my notes, which then necessitated that I spend several hours searching through his content again to dig it back up. Uh, and I felt it was very important for me to do so because it was in this clip in particular that Locke makes the claim that the Constitution does not support the idea of separation of church and state. And I believe Jesse has something to say about that. Indeed, I do. When Greg Locke says that there's nothing in the Constitution that prevents preachers from talking about politics, he's wrong. Like, he's just flat wrong. Unsurprisingly, he doesn't like separation of church and state. He's on record multiple times making overtly political statements from the pulpit of his church, such as openly supporting President Trump, claiming Joe Biden was illegitimately elected, and most recently, a tirade where he lost his federal tax exemption by claiming Democrats were, quote, baby-butchering demons that weren't welcome in his church. And we will definitely be hearing that clip later towards the end of the episode when we cover some of his more recent and more unhinged tirades. Correct. But, uh, Jesse, go ahead and tell us a little bit about the principles of church-state separation in the United States as outlined by the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. 
So in the United States, the basic principles of government and the rights and responsibilities of citizens are enumerated in a document called the Constitution of the United States of America. You may have heard of it. Mm. The very first amendment to which establishes five essential freedoms. The right to free speech, the right to peaceably assemble, the right to petition the government for redress of grievances, freedom of the press, and most importantly for our discussion here, freedom of religion. The text reads as follows. Congress shall make no law respecting any establishment of religion, nor restricting the free exercise thereof. Now, I believe this is what has led to Locke's more recent radicalization. We will get to that in a few minutes here, but go ahead, Jesse. Right. So, for context, during colonial times, the Church of England was established by law in all of the southern colonies, while localized Puritan establishments held sway in most New England states. Um, in those colonies, clergy were appointed and disciplined by colonial authorities, and colonists were required to pay religious taxes and to attend church services. Required to attend religious services and pay religious taxes. Required. Yes. After independence, there was widespread agreement that there should be no nationally established church. The Establishment Clause of the First Amendment, principally authored by James Madison, reflects this consensus. While the language of the Establishment Clause itself applies only to the federal government. Every state had disestablished religion by 1833, and in the 1940s, the Supreme Court held that disestablishment applies to state governments through the 14th Amendment. That's equal protection. Now, let's just pause for a moment here. When Trump says, make America great again, great, quote-unquote, at what point in American history exactly does he or his supporters believe America was great? Because given the agendas of the modern right that we're seeing play out right now, they seem obsessed with the idea of dragging the U.S. back to some time period between 1900 and the 1950s where states had no injunction against promoting specific religions, minorities were segregated, and women didn't have a voice in politics. Calling back to some magical before time. That yeah, when things were better. Let me remind you, people were always awful. Yeah. But anyway... <laughs> The Establishment Clause, as it is referred to, has been interpreted to mean that no taxpayer funds should be given to religious institutions if they might be used to communicate religious doctrine. Also, the government must be neutral in terms of supplying aid to religious organizations such that preference cannot be shown to an organization that is religious over one that is differently religious or non-religious. Broadly speaking, this was intended to prohibit the federal government from declaring and financially supporting a national religion, such as existed in many other countries at the time of the nation's founding. Narrowly, this means not only can government not support churches, but churches can also not support government in the sense of making strictly political pronouncements, as Greg Locke has done. One of the upshots of this is that so long as churches abide by this standard, they are exempt from paying taxes to the federal government. Now, there are video clips of Locke that either I've edited those sections out of the clips or just not included them in our discussion here, where Locke's tried to skate around this issue by saying things like, I'm not telling you who to vote for, but I can tell you why you should be voting and what you should be voting for, you mm -hmm. know, what issues you should be standing for or against. And of course, all of his suggestions are extremely one-sided and tacitly endorses the platform of one specific political party or political candidate. And we'll hear more and more of that as we continue our discussion here. 
Go ahead. So the the federal statute that establishes the tax-exempt status of religious and charitable organizations is referred to as a 501c3. According to 501c3.org, quote, Section 501c3 is the portion of the U.S. Internal Revenue Code that allows for federal tax exemption of nonprofit organizations, specifically those that are considered public charities, private foundations, or private operating foundations. It is regulated and administered by the U.S. Department of Treasury through the Internal Revenue Services. Now, there are also strict requirements for making this tax-exempt status as a religious organization, such as, again, from 501c3.org, quote, Intervention in political campaigns or the endorsement or anti-endorsement of candidates for public office is strictly prohibited. That is directly from the IRS code. A standard Locke has repeatedly and proudly flouted in his sermons. It seems to me that calling Democrats election thieves and baby butchers might just cross that line into being overtly political and possibly remove his eligibility from tax exemption. You don't say. It turns out, surprisingly, the system works. Believe it or not, Locke had his tax-exempt status revoked just about a month ago for the exact sermon I referenced earlier saying, IRS, we don't need your stupid tax-exempt status. You can take it and burn it in your front yard, claiming it was his decision to dissolve his 501c3, adding, quote, I renounce your 501c3 communism in this church. He called the IRS communists. Yes, the IRS... <laughs> are communists, the Democrats are communists and baby butchers and communists. And do we mention that they have a communist agenda? Right, yeah. So in our next clip here, we're going to hear Locke talk about a specific example of the practice of church-state separation and how it was successfully upheld, much to Locke's chagrin. I want you to know that I love my home state of Tennessee, but I'm very disappointed in our governor, Bill Haslam. You see, we made international news when Tennessee was going to be the very first state in the union to make the Bible the official state book. It passed on all accounts, and then Governor Bill Haslam decided that he was going to veto it. And let me say, Governor, I'm disappointed in you. You could have gone down in history as the first governor to ever vote in a state as having the Bible as the official state book, and now you're going to go down in history as a compromiser of political correctness who decided not to have the Bible as the state book because it goes against the Constitution. Are you kidding me? That only shows me that you know very little about the Constitution. And so I believe you've done a great disservice to the people of Tennessee, to the entire United States, and I believe you've brought dishonor to Almighty God. And then you went on to say, well, we don't want it to trivialize the Bible. We don't want the Bible to be trivialized as merely a historical book. Well, apparently you didn't think that when you put your hand on it and you gave an oath to uphold the Constitution and the Bible was good enough to swear you in by, but it's not good enough to be the official state book. Are you kidding me? I think Tennesseans that love the Bible and love God ought to be outraged. We could have gone down in history as the first and only state in the Union to have the Bible as our official book. Hey, that's huge in these days of stupidity and political correctness. But now the governor has bowed. So I noticed Locke repeating a trend here that is not exclusive to the right, but I see predominantly coming from the right these days of making bold proclamations that are just obviously and demonstrably false and should be recognized as such by anyone who even has a passing knowledge of the subject at hand.
Case in point, his statement there about the Tennessee governor not knowing or understanding the content of the Constitution, uh, when clearly the governor does understand the point of the Establishment Clause and the separation of church and state mm-hmm. when he vetoed the idea of installing the Bible as the official state book of Tennessee. Uh, all right, let's go on to our next clip here in which he specifically talks about why he believes that churches should be involved in politics despite the church-state separation and the stipulations of the 501c3 tax forms. There's one thing I'm sick of hearing. The church needs to stay out of politics. Are you kidding me, ladies and gentlemen? That's exactly why politics are in the mess that they are in, because the church has remained silent. We have stayed out of very important issues for fear of not being politically correct. It is time that the church heavily gets involved in politics. By the way, you better know something. That's exactly what this nation was founded upon, Judeo-Christian principles. We left tyranny to establish a nation that was going to serve and worship and honor God. We have got to get to a place where we speak out for what is right in the United States of America. We are going to take this nation back. I know you liberals hate that. I know you progressives hate that. But you're going to have to get over it because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's president. Jesus Christ is still King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because I'm going to tell you something. We could have anybody in the White House we would want to if we would vote our conscience and vote principles. Because I'm not voting for somebody based on their party. I'm voting for somebody based on their character. And God knows we need some character in the White House. It's time God's people take this nation back and the church better get involved in politics not voting for party but voting for the character of the individual i don't think i need to tell anybody that Locke is completely full of shit there but anyway i wonder do you think Locke would have supported trump if trump ran as a democrat hmm Mm, probably not probably not i think you're right yeah probably not so, uh, Jesse, to the best of your knowledge, was the U.S. founded on Judeo-Christian values? Uh, no, it most explicitly was founded as a non-religious nation. Like, Well, not specifically non-religious, but a nation that would give no preference to any specific religion. That's the whole point of the First Amendment. Yes. That was the whole reason why God was never mentioned in the Constitution. Like... Mm. I, most of the founding fathers were deists, too, not Christians. So, for those who might not be familiar, what is a deist? A deist is someone who believes in a god, but does not necessarily believe that that god is the doctrinaire expression of that deity by a particular religious group. And most explicitly, deists think that god, if such a god exists, is a hands-off god. Yeah, non-interventionist. Yeah, non-interventionist God. A God that created everything and then just kind of steps back. Mm. Deism is, like, I believe in God, but I don't think he's the God of your religion, basically. Yes, or, like, the idea that the universe is God. uh, Or that God exists, but, yes, like you said, he just doesn't intervene in everyday life or human affairs. And now, it should also be pointed out that one of the main reasons why... America was established as a secular nation was because through the Enlightenment thinking, the forefathers of America were trying to establish a system that was not based on the idea of divine right, that the ruling families of Europe ruled because according to the state churches, uh, those families were selected by God to rule. So obviously you cannot have 
uh, representative democracy and also a belief that God wishes for only specific people to rule in perpetuity. Now, just for shits and giggles and to drive this point home, I'm going to reference a few quotes from some of the Founding Fathers themselves outlining their specific views about religion and politics. Now, this first one is slightly paraphrased, but Thomas Paine was quoted as saying, I do not believe in the creed of any church that I know of. Each of those churches accused the other of unbelief, and for my own part, I disbelieve them all. Next, we'll focus on an excerpt from the Treaty of Peace and Friendship, which was signed with the Islamic State of Tripoli and written by Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson. In Article 11, it says, quote, The government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. Sticking with Thomas Jefferson here for a moment, he was once quoted, In every country and in every age, the priest has been hostile to liberty. He is always in alliance with the despot, abetting his abuses in return for protection to his own. This quote by Jefferson is extremely prescient right now. Quote, because religious belief, or non-belief, is such an important part of every person's life, freedom of religion affects every individual. State churches that use government power to support themselves and force their views on persons of other faiths undermine all our civil rights. He continues, Erecting a wall of separation between church and state, therefore, is absolutely essential in the free society. And we'll wrap up here with one last quote from James Madison. Religious bondage shackles and debilitates the mind and unfits it for every noble enterprise. During almost 15 centuries has the legal establishment of Christianity been on trial. What have been its fruits? More or less in all places, pride and indolence in the clergy, ignorance and servility in the laity, in both superstition, bigotry, and persecution. So bear these quotes from the Founding Fathers in mind. The next time someone says that the United States is a Christian nation, or that our country was founded on Judeo-Christian values. I also implore everyone listening to reflect back on these quotes as we continue to follow Locke on his journey along the path to right-wing extremism. <sighs> Moving on. Let's go ahead to our next clip here, in which we'll hear Greg Locke repeating a lot of the right-wing fear-mongering about the persecution of Christians in America. <laughs> the best kind. You know, today is Holocaust Memorial Day, when we remember the absolute atrocities that took place many, many years ago at the hands of Hitler. It's amazing how quickly it took place. All they needed was a charismatic leader to basically say, this group of people are hindering our progress. Let's annihilate them. You believe what you want to. It's coming again. They are going to have charismatic leaders that stand up and say, these outspoken Christians, they are a hindrance to our progress. The outspoken Bible thumpers, well, they're a hindrance to homosexual progress. They speak out against Planned Parenthood and murdering babies, which we find to be a woman's right. Those gun-toting right-wingers who watch Fox News, they're a hindrance to our progress. There will be another Holocaust. I call it the Christian Holocaust. For those of us that stand up and really believe the gospel and actually say something about it, we're a hindrance to their liberal progress. They would love nothing more than for us to shut our mouth and let them ruin this country. And I'm telling you, it's going to happen in our nation. It is going to happen to believers. You cannot show me one group of people 
that has lost more rights, is in the process of losing more rights than outspoken believers, evangelical Christians, if you will. They would assume that we were wiped off the face of the earth because we stand in the way of their progress. We do. There is no way around that fact. We need an awakening. One thing we need to do as believers is wake up and realize that we are not to go with the flow of this God-denying culture. We stand against it. Listen, I am in defiance of this liberal agenda. So, a couple of things there. Obviously, Christians have always had a persecution complex. Mm -hmm. Now, there have been times in recorded history where, yes, indeed, Christians were persecuted much more strongly and violently than they are currently being, quote-unquote, persecuted in America. Now, as Jesse pointed out in our previous episode, all sitting U.S. presidents have self-identified as Christian. And now, to drive the point home, let's go ahead and take a look at the religious affiliations of the sitting members of Congress. Hmm, let's see. 88% of Congress are Christian. Uh, what else? Let's see here. Uh, 6.2% are Jewish. Point. 4% Buddhist, 0.6% Muslim, 0.4% Hindu, uh, 0.2 unaffiliated, 0.2 other, and 3.4 don't know or refused. So this definitely seems like a very oppressed, alienated, and disenfranchised group of people we're dealing with here. Right. Yeah. Christians make up, what, 80% of the country, and it's reflected in our representation in government, and... They make all the rules. Yeah, they're being they're being persecuted, but they have the power to have a supermajority on the Supreme Court. To the power to overturn fifty years of established law. Yes, yes. No, you're not. You're not. It was prophesied in the New Testament. Jesus actually said, "Men will hate you because of me," and they take this to to mean that anytime I hate them for believing in Jesus or hate them for discriminating against people in the name of Jesus. No, this it literally is part in parcel of Christian theology is you can expect people to hate you because of your beliefs. It was mentioned it was said in the Bible more than once. And it's and I can't remember who it was that that said it, but um, the quote is let me not fall into the trap of thinking I am being persecuted when I am being disagreed with. Emerson said that. It's this, this idea that, that you identify yourself with your beliefs and that anytime mm. someone challenges one of your beliefs... It's an attack on your identity, personally. Yes. Right. You have to learn. And this is something that I've struggled with personally for a really mm. long time, is separating your personal identity from your ideas. Just because I disagree with the fact that you're legislating your morality on people who disagree with you doesn't mean that I have either the desire or the wherewithal to persecute you. But that's the thing. They, they are the ones persecuting people for their identities, one way or the other. And unfortunately, as these people gain more traction in American politics, that persecution is going to be, quote-unquote, justified. Right based on their religious freedoms. And it's always been that way, and it's only going to get worse. Because now their bigotries are going to be codified into law. They have a persecution complex in that they persecute people in complex ways. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. 
All right, now we're going to kind of transition here into uh, Trumpism and Locke's uh, support of Trumpism. And what better way to start on this topic than with another anti-Obama rant? (laughs) So today we find out once again that President Obama, if he doesn't get his way, he simply does his own thing. He doesn't play by the rules, never has, and his SCOTUS nomination proves that he never will. I'm well aware of the fact that you would love to do nothing more than dismantle the United States Constitution, pull it out of context, and in essence, tear it to shreds. But guess what, sir? You are still a voted-in leader of the United States of America, which means the people of the United States of America actually get to say something. The Pledge of Allegiance is plain that we're to be a nation that is indivisible. But it's obvious that this current administration loves division. Those of us who are not fans of President Obama keep saying, we can't wait till next January when he's out of office. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not so sure that the man's going to try to get out of office. He's not playing by the rules, folks. He doesn't believe he's the president. He thinks he's the bully king of the world. However, if and when he ever is made to step down, you can know this. The blood and chaos of our failing nation will be on his watch. Yes, we know that when we say one nation under God, you would love for that God to be Allah and the prophet Muhammad. But we say over our dead body. We believe in the Constitution, not Sharia law. This country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. That's a historical fact that cannot be changed. And we are going to stand up for the Constitution of the United States of America. And we stand against tyranny. Yeah, Jesse's face-palming very hard over here. (laughs) Oh, my God. I had actually forgotten that right-wing conspiracy theory that Obama was going to try to steal a third term until I started looking through Locke's videos here while researching it's, for this episode. You know what's what's kind of darkly ironic, though, is there was someone in recent memory, a president... This description a seems president, to apply to a, a lot yeah, more who, accurately. Who seemed who to not want to leave office after he was voted out. Mm. Who was that, I wonder? (laughs) Who just does whatever he wants, you know? Right, Uh, it seems like maybe he's projecting just a touch. Yeah, but this is, like, mid-2016, so he's, like, projecting. (laughs) It's like he's making a prophecy, but he's got the wrong person in mind. He's he's (laughs) pre-ejaculating. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) So... Of course, in this one, he's talking about Obama's attempt to nominate Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court in his last year of his second term in office, uh, to which, of course, the GOP refused to actually hold the hearing. Now, it should, of course, be mentioned that Trump appointed Neil Gorsuch instead as soon as he got into office. And then, of course, Trump was able to push through Amy Coney Barrett to succeed Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which of course, exposes the continued flagrant hypocrisy of the GOP for allowing Trump to nominate a Supreme Court justice in the last year of his term while refusing to do so for Obama. Uh, Of course, he claimed Obama wouldn't commit to a peaceful transfer of power. (laughs) And of course, the whole Obama is a Muslim conspiracy theory again. But, of course, Greg Locke won't satisfy himself just attacking one Democratic politician. So, let's hear his thoughts about Hillary Clinton. All the time people say things like this. I can't believe a real pastor would vote for Donald Trump. The real question is, how could a real follower of Christ vote for Hillary Clinton? It's not just that I'm voting for somebody. Hey, I'm voting against someone. It's time that believers stand up to the tyranny and the evil liberal wickedness. In 10 years, 20 years from now, we're not going to see the same America. Let's at least vote someone in that's going to allow us to continue with some freedom, with some understanding of what real America is supposed to be about. 
I've yet to see her get up on national television and say, I'm sorry for allowing our boys in Benghazi to die on my watch. I'm sorry for killing people to cover up stuff. I'm sorry for deleting 33,000 plus emails. And I'm sorry for selling our nation out to ISIS. She's yet to ever get up and offer any apology whatsoever for her many years of evil and wrongdoing. I'm convinced if we vote Hillary into the White House, we will immediately get the judgment of God and more persecution than we've ever imagined. If you're a biblical Christian, then vote biblical values, ladies and gentlemen. So folks, it's down to Trump and Hillary. But I'm here to tell you, I will take someone whose defense mechanism is to arrogantly defend themselves over someone whose defense mechanism is to arrogantly deceive the American people consistently. I'll take a few childish tweets and some elementary comebacks well over someone that believes in butchering babies. Do not tell me that you believe the truth of the gospel and that you follow the Bible and the teachings of Jesus if you are going to vote for such an evil, deviant woman. I'm telling you, Hillary Clinton is nothing more than a demonized Nazi, and if she becomes the president of the United States, it will be the single most worst decision that has ever been made in this nation. Christians don't vote for Hillary Clinton. She belongs in prison, and that is a fact, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't contain myself. <laughs> yeah. And I'll point out that these clips were taken from multiple videos where he was talking about Hillary Clinton because I didn't want to play clip after clip after clip of him repeating the same stuff over and over again. And let's be honest, there are few politicians that deserve criticism more than Hillary Clinton. But I do want to touch on a few points that he mentions here, starting with the Clinton body count conspiracy, which uh, claims that she and Bill have had multiple people assassinated, uh -huh. including JFK Jr., who was supposedly <laughs> killed by the Clintons, um, who then also features in the QAnon conspiracy theory that uh -huh. Locke advocates later on. Now, um, I'll also point out something that I didn't realize, that the Clinton body count conspiracy was heavily promoted by Jerry Falwell. See, I didn't know that either. I didn't yeah. know he had a connection to that particular uh, flavor of crazy, but... Yeah. Well, it's true. It's true. Now, it was certainly clear to me and should have been clear to almost anyone that Hillary Clinton was definitely the lesser of two evils in the 2016 election. And I say that as someone who's always been extremely critical of Hillary Clinton. I think she is probably the single most corrupt career politician in American politics, or at least in the top five, but still. Clarence Thomas, Mitch McConnell. Yeah. There are a few. Yeah, Lindsey Graham, all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I would still say she tops the list as far as manipulative and corrupt Democrat politicians go. And despite the fear-mongering and conspiracy theories of Locke and his ilk, it was clear to me that, you know, Hillary Clinton was the better choice when considering the concerns about the, the constitutional crises that would result from a Trump presidency that we're seeing play out and reverberate as the January 6th hearings uh, continue here. And we will, we will hear from Greg Locke about January 6th as well, because he was boots on the ground at that event, surprising yes. absolutely nobody. So now with his views of Hillary Clinton behind us. Let's focus on his views about Trump. And we're going to start with his reaction to one of the Republican debates. Let me be very clear when I say I'm not happy at all about the way that the Republican debates are being handled. It's childish. It's elementary. And these guys need to put on their big boy pants and act like adults. 
it's obviously going to come down to a runoff between Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, both of which I think are very strong leaders. I honestly believe that Ted Cruz is a Bible-believing Christian. Thank the Lord for that. I think Donald Trump believes he is a Bible-believing Christian, but he's certainly not. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> what? No, but wait, you got to hear the next part. Hold on. I think he thinks he is. <laughs> That's great. I had not heard that clip. This is the first of the clips that you've played of him that I have not heard before. That's amazing. He's certainly not, not according to the gospel, but I would love to sit down and lovingly and patiently show him the truth of the gospel, and I believe he'd be very receptive to the truth of redemption in Jesus Christ. So honestly, why has Donald Trump done so well in the polls? Well, I think it's because Americans are angry, they're sick and tired, they're fed up with big government, and here's a guy that will open his mouth and allow anything to come out, and he doesn't really care what people think. I think that is what people are gravitating to. So whether you love him or whether you hate him, I think people are resonating with that because what we need in America is strong, dependable leadership. Yes, Donald Trump would be very receptive to redemption through Jesus Christ. Yes, well, he's, sure. he's way late because Paula White already saved Trump's soul yeah, like a year before, like a year or two before this conversation was recorded, man. I mean, <laughs> Locke, you're yeah. late to the party. He already picked his televangelist and you're not it. Yeah, despite all his apparent efforts to, to get that level of attention. but I think I think Locke is jealous is what's going on here. I think could he be. wanted to be Trump's personal televangelist and mm. he got passed over for someone who's prettier sorry yeah and in one of the videos that i didn't end up including here he did discuss participating in various faith leader meetings at the white house so he did successfully get himself into uh trump's orbit uh so you know he might not have have gotten as close as paula white may have i don't even want to think about the innuendos there um i, want, I hope not yeah yeah but uh let's find out what this bible thumping christian thinks about the trump tapes scandal so i've received thousands of messages inquiring as to what i think about the trump tape scandal that's been going on for the last week or so but let me be very upfront bold and biblical when i say this what trump said on that tape was wicked vile evil degrading unbiblical it didn't have a lick an ounce of righteousness in it whatsoever. So I do not condone at all what the man said. Now let's take that one step further. Did he apologize? Yes, multiple times. Did he admit his wrong? Yes, multiple times. Was he humiliated by it? Yes, multiple times. Doesn't the Bible teach us that if someone humbles themselves and they ask for forgiveness, that we freely offer it to them? So I get that a lot of Christians are frustrated and they don't want to vote for Trump because of Trump. That's okay. If you're a Christian, don't vote for Trump for Trump. Vote for Trump so we can get Pence. Now, to be fair, yes, Trump did apologize several times, but saying that he was humiliated by it implies that Trump has shame, which I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't necessarily buy that last argument. I think that's demonstrably not the case. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'll also point out that one of the excerpts in the previous clip in which he talked about Hillary Clinton's refusal to apologize for her actions was taken from this video but I decided that the audio fit in better with the rest of his Hillary Clinton rant than it would have in this clip. Wait, she, she didn't apologize for things she didn't do? No way. I, I, you know, I mean, what can you do? What can you do? Okay, so one more clip regarding Locke's thoughts on Trump prior to the 2016 election. And this is him talking about why he feels people should vote for Trump. 
Every single day, people message me and very passionately ask me the question, how do I vote this year? It's so confusing. Who is the lesser of two evils? Stop asking that. Start asking this question. Who is not the lesser of two evils? Who is the individual that's going to make the wisest choices for this nation? And so let's ask ourselves a couple of questions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause here for just a moment because the facepalm is strong with this one. And I'm, I feel like I'm going to have to pause a couple times for our responses for this because, well, you'll, you'll, you'll see or you'll hear. So first of all, which candidate is going to surround themselves with the right people and be willing to listen to counsel? Leadership <laughs> is someone who properly positions people around them that can lend to them accountability, discretion, wisdom, discernment, so on and so forth. And so real leaders don't just make all the decisions. They listen to others so that they can make the right decision. Doesn't that just describe Trump so well, surrounding right. himself with knowledgeable, right. competent people right. and listening to the counsel of right. others? Knowledgeable, competent people like Steve Bannon, yeah. like Sidney Powell, like Rudy Giuliani, like Mike Pence. I mean, aside from the fact that Trump's cabinet had the highest turnover rate of any executive branch in history in its first year... Mm. Aside from that, how many people, and I don't know the exact, I think it was 13 people? 16, I believe. 16 were indicted, members of his administration, people he appointed, in, in reference to the uh, the original Russia investigation? Mm -hmm. Like, he surrounds, yeah, he surrounds himself with good people. The He's best a good people. manager. Like, yeah, no, the no. best people, the smartest yeah, he, people, yeah, the, the most bigly people. Uh, but he loves the poorly educated. Let's not forget that too. Those those things are um, completely mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. All right, so we're going to continue here with the clip, and then we have to ask the question: Which one of the candidates is going to make sure that America is the focus? Which candidate is going to make sure that America is prosperous? Going to make sure that America is safe, and make sure that America is first? Which of the candidates is going to extend our ability to have freedom of speech? in which of the candidates is going to lessen and hinder our ability to have that freedom of speech. Doesn't the First Amendment also cover freedom of the press? Yeah. So what about morality? Do we not want a nation of morals? Certainly we do. So ask yourself the question, who's going to support morals? Who's going to support values? Who's going to support life? Ah, uh, yes, Trump, the paragon of moral values. And as concerned American citizens, we must ask the question about the Constitution. Which of the two candidates is going to take the Constitution seriously? Who's going to defend it? And which one of them is truly going to uphold it? All we have to do is look at the issues. So quit asking who's the lesser of two evils and start asking which one is going to actively and effectively make the United States of America all that it can be and all that it was meant to be. Now, let's try for at least a moment to give Locke the benefit of the doubt here. I mean, is this wishful thinking or what because i mean as we mentioned before and i think we both agree there were serious criticisms to be levied against hillary clinton oh yeah of course but it seems like it's beyond that it's i mean in no small part due to the success of right-wing propaganda to demonize the democratic party and the quote-unquote liberal or progressive agenda making it seem like any Republican, much less Trump, was the better alternative. And whether or not he thinks Trump is the only alternative, does he really believe some of these other things that he's saying about Trump? That he would be receptive to Christian values? That he would 
defend free speech, especially when it comes to freedom of the press, or that he would actually respect the restrictions placed upon the office of the president by the Constitution? Or does he just believe this because the opposite party has been so propagandized as being against these things that Trump, as a quote-unquote Republican, by default must be for all of these things? I've heard similar things from religious people that I, I was surrounded with for a long time that, like, Christians can't vote Democrat, things like that. But when it comes to Greg Locke himself, he's his actual opinions seem really hard to pin down. I guess the easiest way to say it is it's hard to tell whether he's energized by the fact that he has an audience and so he's leaning into his positions really hard or whether he is censoring himself and that his opinions are actually a lot more extreme than what he's communicating publicly. I suspect the second, and I mean, come on, we can't really truly know the heart of another person and what motivates them, but I suspect that his views are more extreme, but he understands how thoroughly he could be deplatformed. Right. Or at least he had understood how thoroughly he could be deplatformed leading up to his more insane ramblings, which we'll, uh, we'll get into here in none too short order. But that's the thing, is because he's explicitly said that he's a biblical Christian. He will not bow to political correctness. He says the Bible's infallible, and the Bible says this, and the Bible says that. Well, yeah, you know, the Bible says a lot of atrocious, immoral shit. And if you believe mm -hmm. that the Bible is 100% correct, that, that means you also advocate or at least believe that this atrocious, immoral shit should be followed at best and made the law of the land at worst. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Sorry, I'm just ranting now. Jesse, as someone who grew up in this type of environment, in these evangelical churches, is there anything else you want to point out here? It just... <sighs> Only that Greg Locke in, in this sort of rhetoric is not unique. Exactly. He's very he's he's very much It seems almost like he's deliberately trying to fill an archetype of a certain type of preacher. Mm. It's it's like he's trying to create a brand. And Yeah, and he even described it as such in the very first clip that we played with his interview with the Trinity Broadcasting Network, how all of the videos that he posts kind of reinforce his brand, much like Trump. Very much like Trump, he knows he's going to get more clicks, he's going to get more views, he's going to get more likes, and he's going to generate more controversy and therefore more exposure for himself by being controversial by being loud and and it makes me wonder whether or not he saw the success that trump had being so inflammatory and decided to kind of take that and run with it for his own brand it, it it's possible that's an influence as it well. could be yeah like it it and this is just complete and total speculation yeah. and it may even veer into conspiratorial territory but i would be interested to look at the state of of Greg Locke's personal finances and the finances of his church during the period of time where he made himself available personally to Trump. And it would be also interesting to see what kind of effects COVID had on those finances as well, because that 
might be one of the other reasons, apart from his general right-wing conspiracy theory mindset, that informed his reactions against the COVID mandates. So moving on here, we've got one more clip from a video that was uploaded prior to the 2016 election. And in this clip, Locke is responding to the statements made by the Pope, which questioned Trump's Christian identity. <laughs> Talk about a case of the pot calling the kettle black. Now the Pope says Donald Trump is not a true Christian. Well, more than likely, according to the Bible, he's not a gospel believer. But guess what? Neither is the Pope. If the Pope is a Jesus follower, then I'm a Japanese navigator. Because according to the Bible, the Pope <laughs> is the spirit of Antichrist and is no doubt one of the greatest false prophets that the world has ever known. Yep, the, the Pope is the Antichrist for critiquing the, the Christian beliefs of Trump. <sighs> okay, so... Yeah, I figured you'd have something to say here. Go ahead. This is a very, very common perspective among especially more conservative evangelical Christians. Mm. I can recall as a child this question being thrown around a lot. Do Catholics go to heaven? And to someone who's not religious, to someone like you who didn't grow up in that, it, I know how it sounds. It sounds very, very strange for one kind of Christian to look at another and say, I don't think that person's going to heaven because they believe in Jesus differently than me. Well, actually, you'd be surprised. I mean, even though I'm not religious and never really have been, I'm aware that there are dozens of different sects of Christianity each of which has their own contradictory interpretation of the scripture and all of them believing that they exclusively have the correct interpretation. Therefore, everyone else who disagrees with them is going to be punished for deviating from the scripture, or rather their specific interpretation of the scripture. It's like modern Christians just don't understand the fact that Catholicism was the only variety of Christianity mm. on offer for 1,600 yeah. years. Eh, closer to 1,400 years, actually. When Martin Luther mm. nailed his 99 Theses to the door at the chapel in Wittenberg, until that day, there was no other version of Christianity besides Catholicism. That mm. was it. Everybody believed that the Pope was the, quote, bicar of Christ. He yeah. literally spoke for God. This idea that... Catholics don't go to heaven that some Protestants seem to have is so ignorant and so misguided from just a perspective internal to Christianity. It's absolutely mind-blowing that people still express this kind yeah. of idea. Yeah, and what about the specific conspiracy theory of the Pope being the Antichrist? Because I feel like I've heard that uh, idea perpetuated by certain groups of Protestant Christians. Well, let's not forget also that Bill Clinton was the Antichrist. Barack Obama was the Antichrist. <laughs> I mean, probably Bill Gates. Yeah. Oh, Bill Gates. I've heard that one too. Yeah. It's whoever the majority of the evangelical Christian establishment doesn't like at the moment mm. is the Antichrist. Now, I might be mistaken, but I was <laughs> under the impression that one or more Protestant groups had some conspiracy theory about the Pope being the Antichrist, but I don't know. If there is a really specific conspiracy theory regarding that, I, I don't know it. Okay, okay, no worries. I was just curious about whether or not some point in your past or in your upbringing, uh, if you had heard something similar to that. I mean, I've heard the Pope called the Antichrist on a number of occasions in churches, but I, I don't know that there's like a, a specific school of thought okay. that has an entire conspiracy built around it. Right, right. Okay, so getting back to Greg Locke here... Let's hear a clip of him 
from a video that was uploaded during the Trump administration describing, you know, how he feels about the Trump presidency. Hey guys, Pastor Greg Locke here. All the time people ask me, how can you be a Christian and how can you be a pastor and support President Donald Trump? Well, first of all, he's the president. Secondarily, when's the last time you heard something this gospel supercharged come out of the mouth of a president? Reverend Graham's words came through the airways. Jesus wants to be Lord of your life. That night, John dedicated his life to Christ. He spent the rest of his time in prison praying, studying the Bible, and bringing the Lord to his fellow inmates. So I don't really give the flip of a wooden nickel what the leftists and liberals think about him. I'm here to tell you, this guy's pretty legit. He's keeping his promises, for one thing. He's bringing God back to this nation in an amazing way. And the guy is preaching the gospel on TV to hundreds of millions of people. Are you kidding me? How could you not be happy that God's given us an extra space of grace and he's given this nation another chance to repent? I think we ought to take it. I don't have to like everything he's done or is doing, but I do like the fact that he's giving Bible believers their voice back. It's so easy to appeal to these people. I mean, come on. You know, he chases a bunch of protesters off with riot police, rubber bullets, and tear gas so he can hold a Bible upside down at the church across the street from the White House. <laughs> and remember 2 Corinthians, you know, as well. Right, that... And the thing is, the 2 Corinthians quote, mm. do you know where he was when he said that? No, in, inform me. He was at Liberty fucking University oh when he said God. 2 Corinthians instead of 2 Corinthians, yeah. and nobody fucking called him on it. No, of course nobody. not. Nobody. I'm like, okay, and also there was a six, it was a, was it 60 Minutes? I can't remember the exact interview where um, someone asked him what his favorite Bible verse was, and he refused to answer. He said it's very personal. Yeah, oh yeah. That's a great cop-out answer, but go ahead, go ahead when I was in church and surrounded by Christians all day every day if you asked any person in church what their favorite Bible verse was they'd have an answer immediately mm. every last one of them if you asked a Christian in public on television what their favorite Bible verse was immediately you just gave them a platform to talk about Jesus and they would take it yeah. if Trump was an evangelical Christian if he really was and he was asked what your favorite Bible verse was on television he would have expected Bounded, I promise. So, like I said, it's a great cop-out answer. It's very personal, you know. Right. I, I feel like that's what his handlers told him to say if he was asked that question. Oh, no doubt. No doubt whatsoever. And I guarantee that that quote that, that Locke played in our quoted quote, quote, <laughs> was... Quoteception. Quoteception <laughs> was a prepared quote. For Trump to say it wasn't something that he said off the cuff by any stretch of the imagination. Probably not. I think Trump's off the cuff remarks and his prepared remarks are pretty easily distinguished. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. All right. So we've got one more standing with Trump quote from Greg Locke here. And just for reference, we're jumping ahead here to November 7th, 2020 for this quote. Let me be very plain about something. I am not going to abandon President Trump. All these people saying, well, the ship's going down. You better get off while you can. Absolutely not. This man has done nothing short than give his entire life, his fortune, his safety, and his family 
for the betterment of this nation. He has spent four years making America great again, and I'm convinced he's still going to spend four more years making America great again. This man has stood up for America first. He stood up for Israel. He stood up for the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, for our church, giving evangelicals the greatest Christian voice we've ever had in the history of this nation. And you want me to be disloyal to a man that has done nothing but be loyal to the American people? Not on your life. I'm a pastor, and I approve this message. I serve Jesus Christ, but I honor, pray for, and respect President Donald J. Trump. <laughs> yeah. I'm a pastor and I approve this message. <laughs> so I know we jumped ahead a bit there, but I wanted to group these two clips together just to show how Greg Locke justifies his support of Donald Trump. So here's just one last thing I want to point out here before we go tumbling down the rabbit hole. And for sure, the event horizon of this black hole <laughs> is steadily approaching. What a wonderful analogy. Okay, we're going to rewind here for a minute and play a clip from a video that was uploaded partway through Trump's term. Um, and this is Locke expressing his support for the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. Let me say a word about this Brett Kavanaugh fiasco. It's turned out to be a media circus. Listen to me. This is not about the Me Too movement. This is not about women's rights, and this is not about accusations. This is about Planned Parenthood being defund, and the left will do anything to make sure they can continue to murder babies. That is what this is about, and only what this is about. Look, people, you can't just go around falsely accusing anybody you jolly well please because you're getting paid good money to do so. Not all men are guilty, and not all women are victims. If you can't see an underlying current here politically, then you ought to sue your brain for non-support. The left in America has gone buck wild. It seems like there is no end to the depths that these people will go to to get their political agenda passed. These people aren't Democrats. They're Democrats. Read my lips. I stand with Kavanaugh. Hmm. Yeah, uh, just uh, take it all in. Just take take all the time you need. Democrats. Uh, yeah, I've heard that before mm. though. Like yeah. Democrats, demon rats. Mm. I've heard that so many times. Like he is not the first person to use that exact rhetoric. Exactly. This kind of rhetoric is disturbingly mainstream among the Christian right. He's a mirror for sure. He's a mirror to a lot of a lot of this, and he's just he has a very large platform, and it's mm, man, that's uh, and a, oh, and uh, potentially yeah. a growing platform. You know, his Twitter was suspended indefinitely, and he's lost his tax exempt status. But it remains to be seen how that's going to affect him in the long run. Now, obviously, there were credible allegations leveled against Kavanaugh, one way or the other. But it should be obvious that Trump's Supreme Court nominations were specifically chosen because they were ultra-conservative and they would follow the religious agenda that was being pursued for decades by the religious right. And as, again, just a few days after the overturn of Roe v. Wade, we see that that is exactly what happened. Now, thankfully... At least they had the integrity to not bow to the election fraud conspiracy theories that Trump was pushing. So we can at least take some small comfort in that, I suppose. But uh, now it makes me wonder if they didn't pursue the election fraud conspiracy theories because they knew it was bullshit. And if they had gone after it, then it, they would have been delegitimized and possibly removed from the Supreme Court before they could overturn Roe v. Wade. But when it comes to the election fraud conspiracy theories, 
we're not there yet, and oh boy, we will get there. Now, so our next two clips here, I'm going to play back-to-back -back because I want us to contrast the things that he says in both of these clips. Now, for reference, before we jump into them, these are going to be Greg Locke's reaction to the 2016 election and the protests that followed after Trump's victory. And then we're going to hear his reaction to the 2020 election in which Trump lost. And I want us to listen carefully and see if we can determine any difference in between his stances on these two events. Does he contradict himself, Andrew? Are you a prophet, Jesse? <laughs> I may have had. Is God speaking to you right now? Is God in the room with us right now? God may have touched me, and I may need to speak to a counselor. <laughs> Where is God touching you right now? <laughs> now, before we play the two clips here, I want to touch on something that Greg Locke has mentioned several times thus far in his different clips, and that is Romans 13. Um, now, I'm going to read the text here of Romans 13 from the New International Version of the Bible, and I want us to consider how we think Gredlock might apply this passage to these two different events. So, Romans 13 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. So, without spoiling it, let's take a wild guess as to which of these situations Greg Locke thinks Romans 13 should apply, and when it should not apply. Starting, as I mentioned, with Greg Locke's response to the protests following the 2016 election of Donald Trump. Hey guys, Pastor Greg Locke here. Well, unless you live under a rock, then you know right now there's a lot of violence, a lot of hatred, protests and foolishness and nonsense going on in many of the cities of the United States because of the results of our recent presidential election. This was lawlessness, nonsense, violence, foolishness, and it needs to be swiftly and severely handled and dealt with. Now, I'm going to pause for a moment and point out that in Locke's original video, he was responding to a video clip of a group of people who were assaulting another individual because that person said that they had voted for Trump. And of course, nobody should condone this politically motivated violence or assault. But when he's describing this as lawless, that's what he's referring to. This is the United States of America. And just because you're a sore loser over Donald Trump getting elected to be the next president of the United States, that does not give you the freedom, the right, and the liberty to hurt people, kill people, and burn our cities down. Look, if you want to walk up and down the street in a peaceful protest, that's great. You won't get two words out of me. But when you start beating people, burning the flag, cursing America, busting out windows... Busting out windows. Huh. You don't say. Stopping traffic, then I'll call you out for the gang-banging mm. thugs that you are. Somebody needs to say it, and somebody needs to stand up and do something. This is America, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't a third-world country. 
This stuff has got to stop. We've got to come together and we've got to learn to be able to disagree in a much more agreeable way. We do not rebuild our nation by burning it to the ground. I've been closely following this recount fiasco that was begun by Jill Stein and then added to by the Hillary Clinton campaign. And it's very interesting to watch all of the foolishness back and forth. And yet, what we're beginning to see is that some states have already laid this to bed, they've already laid this to rest, but here's what we're finding out. There's some dismal, detrimental information that is coming out of this recount fiasco. Some people are superbly disillusioned during this situation. And there's a reason for that, and here it is. The truth is, conservative values actually won by a landslide, and the liberal progressive agenda actually lost a whole lot more horrifically than they could have ever imagined. <laughs> so the liberal cupcake, snowflake, whiny babies lost a whole lot more than they ever anticipated. Hey, we're taking America back, and we're going to make America great again. Look, guys, the facts are the facts. <clears throat> Democracy has done its job. This is the United States of America. The people have spoken and voted, and you lost fair and square three times. So please stop setting our cities on fire, hashtagging and trending with never my president. You've got to stop all this baby-like, immature, whiny-hiny foolishness. We've got adults in the United States of America that can't even settle on the fact that because this is the United States, we do things a certain way. You lost. That's it. Suck it up. Put on your big boy pants and get over it. It's over. You lost. Deal with it. Now let's pick up the pieces, put them back together, and move forward in the United States of America. This nation is not about one individual. It is about all of us banding together to make this nation all that it can be and all that God had originally intended for it to be. Hillary lost three times, fair and square, and she will not be the next president of the United States. Ding, 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 ding. That is a common sense alarm. Enough is enough. We get it. We know that Donald Trump's not perfect. We know that he is not our savior, and we know that he is not the perfect president. But the facts are, he's going to be the president. Would you please accept the results of the election and let us move forward building this nation? Well, um, hindsight is twenty twenty, and uh, looking looking back, <laughs> hindsight in fact is twenty twenty. Yes, in indeed. Case. And speaking of twenty twenty, let's uh, let's hear what he feels about uh, Trump's election loss. I can't wait. Is my personal opinion. Listen to me very very closely, Donald J. Trump. The president of the United States will 100% remain the president of the United States for another term, ladies and gentlemen. He has single-handedly won the greatest landslide victory in the history of this nation. Joe Biden lost by the biggest landslide lose in the history of our nation. Okay, look, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, they've already been rescinded. They've already been pulled back. 100%. Joe Biden and Kamala, whatever her name is, Harris, will never be president and vice president. Stop calling them elect, okay? No, they are not. They have lost, okay? And we are watching fraud at an all-time level. They are trying to make people riot in the streets. And yet nobody burned anything down. We didn't loot anything. But you wait. Here's what's going to happen. They're promoting this Biden presidency nonsense, this lie from the pit of hell. So when the Supreme Court sides with conservatives, and they're going to, because we won, 110% we won. When they side with us, they're going to say, oh my goodness, he's overturned the election. And they're going to burn everything down. We haven't seen riots yet. BLM, Antifa, and their basement-dwelling buddies are going to come out in full force. But I'm telling you right now, Donald Trump, with 100% accuracy, Joe Biden didn't win. He's not the president. He will never be the president. And come January the 20th, I'm telling you, I'll be wing, bing, 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 winner, winner, chicken dinner, referring back to this video. There are some shenanigans. There's some demonic, wicked, psychobabble activity that's going on in the United States. That is not conspiracy theory. That is fact. I'm telling you, Donald Trump won. Can I say that again? Donald Trump won. Because now we're finding out that millions of votes were fraud and fraudulent. And we're going to find that out in the coming days, the coming weeks. I remind you, Al Gore, <laughs> Al Gore thought he was the president. 
for like 36 days. And we see how that flipped the script and turned. I'm telling you, this is treason at the highest level. But at the end of the day, listen, they've tried to steal this election, ladies and gentlemen. And it's time for patriots to rise up, push back, and say enough is enough. Had a gutful. This is nonsense. This is stupid. Joe Biden is not the president-elect. He never will be the president of the United States. I'm betting the farm on this one. Mark my words. I'm telling you, in my spirit, I know the man won. Facts are facts. So I will point out that this... <laughs> was posted before January 6th. Um, right. So not only can we see the hypocrisy in the rhetoric he uses when his preferred candidate wins versus when his preferred candidate loses, but we can also see the hypocrisy of his quote-unquote commitment to the idea of accepting an election loss and trying to, to move forward graciously and cooperatively to maintain the united nature of the United States of America. Now, I was mistaken. He didn't actually refer to Romans 13 in these clips, but our listeners will have heard him refer to that at least once in the previous episode, and he will definitely make several references to it in later clips. So pay attention and keep that verse in mind. In any case, our listeners will probably hear that this is his most unhinged audio clip thus far. So far. So far. Now, I will point out that that clip was about two minutes, edited down from an 11-minute rant. So our listeners are just getting the best of the best, or maybe the worst of the worst, however you decide to look at it. So our listeners may be asking themselves, how did we get here? How did Greg Locke get to this point? Well, there was uh, this this little thing that happened in 2019. Uh, so little, in fact, that uh, one might uh, even consider it to be microscopic. <laughs> so now we're going to hear an excerpt from Locke's very first video clip in response to the COVID-19 crisis. And I believe this was recorded in March of 2020. This is all I'm going to say about the coronavirus because I have some pretty strong opinions as to what I believe about its validity. They want no. to spread fear. So much of this is media-driven, controlled chaos. Regardless if there's a sickness or not that some people are being affected by, you have to realize that so much of this is politically motivated nonsense. Stop freaking out. We're not at that point. And for believers, we will never be at that point. Don't fear. It's time like never before just to trust the Lord. Okay, so that was March 2020. Uh, let's catch up with him about two months later in May 2020, at which point I will point out things were basically back to normal here in China, given the extreme lockdowns and adherence to public safety and mask-wearing mandates. By May of 2020... Basically, business as usual back here in China, the origin of <laughs> the coronavirus. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're going to hear multiple clips back to back to back here. Um, and I pulled all of these from a maybe 18-minute podcast that he did. But the gish gallop he went on was just too intense for us to try to address all of his points at the end. So we're going to play the clips one by one and talk a little bit about them one at a time. 
The other day, I was in Dunkin' Donuts where I love to go, and this lady said, why aren't you wearing a mask? That's the question of the day. Why aren't you wearing a mask? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it's not Halloween. And number two, it is America, ladies and gentlemen. And we have some rights and some freedoms and things that we need to respect about each other. And what we're finding is that the COVID-19 situation has caused more division amongst people politically than probably anything we have ever seen in our generation. Churches are effectively shut down in the United States of America. Here's what you need to realize. That, ladies and gentlemen, is communism. This is America, ladies and gentlemen. We're not under Hitler. We're not under Mussolini. We're not under Stalin. We are under the United States flag, right? We have a free country, and we have got to get back to that. We are raising a generation of people that are being taught, if you stand up for your freedom, you're selfish. That is dangerous. Did you hear me? That is dangerous, that if you stand up for your rights, if you push back and fight for your constitutional freedoms, then you are selfish. No, you are patriotic. You are American. We have got to stand up. So obviously this goes back to what we were discussing earlier. Your rights end when they infringe upon the rights of other people. And the issue of wearing a mask during a pandemic is a perfect example of that. If you refuse to wear a mask, you are refusing to acknowledge or protect the rights of health and safety of people who are around you. Refusing to follow mandates for social distancing, etc., are threatening the rights of the people around you. Whether or not those people also embrace the same mentality, their rights are being threatened. Living in a civil society means adhering to the established social contract. That's what allows civil society to exist in the first place. And, of course, you and I discussed this at length during our anti-vax episode as well. But, communism... Didn't you know, Jesse, that the closing of churches has to do with seizing the means of production? <laughs> right, because... And establishing a classless society. <laughs> right, because of all those machine shops and, and production facilities that exist inside of churches. Yes. Like, so responsible ministers in the United States did, in fact, close their churches down and started to do things remotely. Mm. And there were a few churches in the town I lived in at the time where we both grew up in mm. Jackson, Michigan that were holding services in the parking lot. Right. Like, there are ways around it. You can still yeah. exercise your freedom to worship while also responsibly socially distancing and respecting the fact that there is, in fact, a pandemic going on. Yeah. So we'll get into that a little bit later on as well here. But this whole section is related to COVID conspiracy theories that were contained in this one podcast. So let's uh, listen to the next uh, clip here. They have given us these stay-at-home orders. Let me say this. I think the orders are rather foolish because we need to be out and about so that we can grow a little bit of immunity within our bodies because we're used to touching stuff and breathing stuff, and now everybody is infecting themselves. And what's going to happen is they're going to say, you see there, we opened everything back up, and there's this huge resurgence of coronavirus. And the reason there's going to be a huge resurgence is because everybody has crappy immune systems because they've been cowered down in a house doing absolutely nothing and not touching anybody and wearing a mask. The stay-at-home orders need to stop. Mm -hmm. So, of course... When people go outside where the virus is, the resurgence will be because they were staying at home and not because they went outside where the virus is. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> That's not how any of this works. But no, really, we shouldn't you're... be surprised about any of this anyway, given the anti-science nature that Locke has already demonstrated. No, no. 
your body builds specific immunity to viruses and pathogens you have already been exposed to. Yes. <laughs> but some of these same conspiracy theories, like, and I can't say this for 100% certainty, but it seems I'm hearing flavors of some of these specific COVID conspiracy theories about, quote unquote, wearing a mask, quote unquote, reactivates your coronavirus, where you're infected, you're breathing out coronavirus, and you're breathing it back in again. Um, and that was a very specific COVID conspiracy theory, I believe, was part of the the, the pandemic. I, what do you call a fake news documentary? Is, it, is there a term, a documentary that's completely bullshit? I think completely bullshit pretty much uh, yeah, I guess it, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> I feel like we need to come up with a specific term for that kind of thing, though. But anyway. All right. Let's listen to our next clip here uh, about Locke's opinion about why these stay-at-home orders are being mandated. Now, this is my opinion. I believe there's about four or five really good reasons why they're continuing to have these stay-at-home orders. Number one, I think they want to see how much the American people are willing to take. Okay? When are they going to push back? There is a difference between safety and compliance. Say it again louder, Pastor, for the people in the back. There's a difference between safety and compliance. This is no longer about safety issues. This is about are we going to comply? Are we going to listen to the governing authorities? You can't even get on an airplane now without wearing a mask. Okay, so it's about compliance. It's about forcing people to comply against their will. And we'll hear him expand on that a bit more later. Uh, next, the role of the media. I think also, from the media standpoint, they want to instill fear in the American people. They want everything to be bad, everything to be horrible, everything to be worse and worse and worse. We got all these people coming up with all this nonsense because they want us afraid. They want us in our houses. They don't want you working. They don't want us in our churches. Okay. Ah, now, here's a great one. The stay-at-home orders and everything uh, was specifically a Democrat conspiracy theory to crash the economy to make Trump look bad. Right, because... The Democrats made all the stay-at-home orders in every other country, too. Yes, and American Democrats crashed the economy in every other country as well. Right, yeah. But there's no doubt that they've done their dead-level best and a good job at doing it in crashing the economy, right? They're like, oh my goodness, President Trump did a great job building the economy. Let's crash it and see what happens. And so I believe everything they're trying to do in crashing this economy is just part of the process. Okay, so I'm going to play the next two clips here back-to-back, and then we'll discuss afterwards. Do you know one of the reasons this coronavirus stay-at-home, social distancing, six-feet-apart nonsense continues and continues and continues? I am convinced they want to keep people out of the Trump rallies. It's about keeping Trump's voice silenced to the masses. Yep, because the people who attended Trump's rallies were super, super concerned with mask wearing and social distance mandates, which is exactly why there were no massive Trump rallies during the coronavirus pandemic. Right, right. Well, we're just going to go to the ballots by way of the mailbox. They're doing everything they can to rig the election. Okay, it's a Hillary train nightmare all over again. Now, you mark my word, I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet. There's going to be another resurgence of the coronavirus right before the elections in November because they want to keep us home and they want people to mail in their ballots. And here's what's magically, miraculously going to happen. Just like it does every election year in the state of Florida, they're going to say, oh my goodness, we've found a whole lot of ballots that we didn't even know were there. They are trying to rig this election. Now, I'll point out that this podcast that he posted was done in May 2020, so obviously months before the November election, but we can hear Locke repeating Trump's rhetoric about election fraud. It's going to be rigged. It's going to be rigged. They're going to use mail-in ballots. Mail-in ballots are bad. They're going to steal the election. And if the goal was to silence Trump, then they would have 
banned his Twitter account long before January 6th. And our last clip here, the piece de resistance, you might say. And uh, this is where he brings up Romans 13 again. So let's remember the content of Romans 13 as we listen to this clip. I know what a lot of you have already been taught. Well, you know, Romans chapter 13 says that you have to obey every single ordinance of man. First of all, that is not what Romans chapter 13 teaches. It is not teaching us that we have to submit to the uh, dictates of man when they contradict the law of God. Let me remind you, Romans 13 is exactly what Hitler used to lead 6 million Jews to the gas chamber. We have to use our brains. We need some common sense. If there is one thing we're missing in the United States, it is the element of common sense. Now, surprisingly, I think there are a couple things that we can agree about in this last clip. Number one, he seems to be admitting that Hitler was a Christian, at least. Yeah. And number two, that we're lacking common sense in America. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I agree on those two points. Mm. And just to pile on mm. just a teeny little bit, yep. the, the Nazi officers were given gold-plated belt buckles that said in German the phrase Gott mit uns, mm -hmm. which means God with us yep. in German. Yes, also a, an incredibly valid point. Now, um, our next clip here is, again, taken from multiple videos. And, well, this is his reaction to the church shutdowns. Look, I pastor in Nashville. We never closed one time. I'm not bragging. I'm just stating the facts. So we're not closing the doors of our church for a pandemic, okay? We're not going to make people social distance. We're not going to have half-size auditoriums and make people wear masks. This isn't Haiti, okay? This isn't Iraq. This is the United States of America. We're not meeting in some third world country. We're not under communism. This isn't Venezuela. This is the United States of America. It's only going to be for a couple of weeks. Hey, 15 days to slow the spread. That was months ago, ladies and gentlemen. I want to point out that as he's ranting here, he's driving down the road swinging both of his hands around off the steering wheel, just uh, not really 100% necessary context, but uh, if you guys decide to actually watch these videos to make sure I'm not taking things out of context, uh, you'll notice that uh, Greg Locke is rather fond of recording some of his rants while he's driving, and he's explicitly stated that sometimes he does that just to piss people off. <laughs> And we're still trying to slow the spread over something that's not spreading at all. Yes, COVID is not spreading. Right, yeah, no, not at all. I'm telling you, we've been lied to, we've been duped, we've been deceived. Open the churches. Quit pandering to the left. Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of God. And you think the government's going to prevail? You think COVID, some kind of pandemic is going to prevail? You think the left is going to prevail? The location isn't the power. The gathering, the gathering, the gathering is the power of God, ladies and gentlemen. You can report me. People can get mad and say whatever they want to. I don't live under communism. I live under the constitution of this great nation, which is still great and still free. And most of all, I live under the authority and the influence of a book that we call the Bible. And so I'm telling you churches and I'm telling you pastors, get a backbone, stand up, push back against this garbage, open up the churches. There is absolutely zero excuse for any church in America being closed right now over this COVID nonsense. The churches should be open. There are no excuses. I'm telling you, I will go to jail before I will close our church. They will be selling Frosties in the lake of fire before Greg Locke and Global Vision Bible Church ever closes what? down. Yeah, that's one of his favorite lines. We're going to be hearing that a couple times coming up here. <laughs> I don't care if they send the military, they roll up in there with tanks, ladies and gentlemen. We are staying open. We are packed to capacity. You ain't got to wear a mask. We're not social distancing. Yes, I'm fired up. Yes, I'm mad at the devil. And you hear me, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the local church of Jesus Christ. I called it a month ago. Correction, sir. You will not go back to jail. Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, this goes back to what we were saying earlier in the section about religion and politics. 
I mean, the Constitution says that the government will not impede in the free exercise of religion. And I think we can say with reasonable confidence that this right to assemble and worship is very important to Locke and that the restrictions placed on it for public safety reasons are unconstitutional in his view. And I think we can also say with reasonable confidence that apart from embracing Trumpism and Trump's election fraud conspiracy theories, that this is a huge motivating factor for Locke's increasingly militant rhetoric. Uh, Jesse, do you have any thoughts about this? Well, when it came to the the shutting down of churches, um, it wasn't like you can't go to church. It wasn't you can't worship. It wasn't the practice of religion is outlawed. It's the gathering of groups of more than 10 in enclosed spaces. Mm. You can still have Zoom services. You can still distribute audio tapes of your sermons. You can still do phone calls. You can still visit one-on-one with people so long as they're not at high risk. Like, And I will also point out that while he never stopped preaching during this time they did move their services outdoors to a tent yep yep they sure did yes so at least he did acquiesce as far as that goes right right and not to paint it as though he was just completely disregarding the law you know he was trying to exploit every loophole he could so that he could continue practicing without you know causing the deaths of church members either intentionally or unintentionally there was a story i deliberately didn't include it in my notes because it was a blog post not like a a news article or anything yeah i seem to recall seeing something and it's probably what you're referring to go ahead there was a member of his church who prior to them moving out to the tent at least when he was still preaching like against the vaccine and against oh yeah we haven't even gotten there yet this person (laughs) blames greg locke and his extremist preaching for convincing the author of this blog post's father to not get vaccinated, and this person's father later died mm. um, from complications of COVID-19. And this person yeah. blames Pastor Locke for the death of his father. And Right, and I think it's best to stick with, you know, news reports and verifiable facts than blog posts, but... Uh, Then again, this is a lot of the things that we've discussed before. You know, these people with influence spreading these bad ideas has real, legitimate, demonstrable Mm -hmm. effects on people's lives one way or the other. So we've got just two more clips here on the topic of COVID. So let's jump into the next one. Every day, nearly, I make this statement. Why don't pastors like me stay out of politics? I'm going to tell you exactly why. Point blank and bold. Because if we don't call out corrupt politicians and corrupt, wicked, godless, unbiblical politics, then we're not going to have a platform from which to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. We've got to stand up. We've got to push back. Bunch of silly man-made mandates, a bunch of non-laws, if you will. Well, Romans chapter 13 says that we got to obey a tyrannical government. Acts chapter 5 says we better obey God rather than men. We have people that fly here every week from California, from Oregon, from Texas, from Pennsylvania. Every single weekend, 12, 15, sometimes 20 states are represented because people are like, wow, it's a fresh breath of air because, look, we're going to fight back. We are not putting up with tyranny. We are not putting up with nonsense. If you don't believe the church is under persecution, you are not paying attention. Get your head out of the sand. Quit living in this foolish, utopian, socialistic society that the media has painted for you. We're in a battle. 
This means war. The Bible says to put on the whole armor of God. The weapons are warfare, are not carnal, but mighty through God. We are in a war. This is not a Sunday school picnic. This is not nursery rhymes and nursery games. This is a war, ladies and gentlemen. The church in America is under attack. There is no way around that fact. They want our churches closed. They want us silenced. They want us all to comply with mask-wearing nonsense. They don't want us singing. They don't want us praying. They don't want us preaching. They don't want us gathering. But they will be serving Frosties in the lake of fire before Greg Locke and Global Vision ever close the doors of this church because a buckwild, demon-possessed, tyrannical government tells us to. And I'm telling you, if the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. None of this nonsense and wickedness going on in our culture is going to prevail against the church. We call sin by its rightful name. We call perversity, perversity. We call abortion, butchering babies. We say what the Bible says. We mean what the Bible says. And we don't apologize. We don't back down. We don't define our terms. We don't have to defend ourselves. Church, it's time to fight back. Okay. It should be clear that this is not in any way a call to violence. Okay. However... He is using, obviously, militant language in mm -hmm. his video here. Now, I would also point out that I would not be surprised if out-of-state visitors to his church almost certainly spread to COVID across state lines. Oh, almost certainly. So Epidemiologically, it's almost impossible that that didn't happen. Yes, basically. Okay, so one more clip here. Uh, and you mentioned his anti-vaxxing standpoint. So, of course, I got a clip ready for that oh of course and so i want to say something i agree with just about everything that the reverend franklin graham says i appreciate him i love his daddy i've been to the white house with franklin graham i appreciate it but his stand on this vaccination issue is dangerous you hear me it is dangerous he is asking pastors to teach and tell their people to take the vaccine because after all if jesus were alive today on the earth he would no, he would not have. Okay, let's not presume what Jesus would do just because it may be something that your father quoted that he believed in modern medicine. We do too. But I want you to know, Jesus healed lepers, blind people, cast out devils, demons, all manner of sickness and disease. It says that three times amongst the people Jesus cast out. He wasn't walking around in a mask and he wasn't telling people to take a vaccination. Okay, that is dangerous. You do realize that what we're living in in days are conditioning. They're conditioning us. People are like, oh, Pastor Greg Locke believes that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. I've never said that. I've never believed that. What I have said is it's conditioning us to the mark of the beast. It is conditioning us to get people so used to fear that they will sell their souls for a piece of bread. But at the end of the day, we have a large platform. We have a massively growing church. And I've got to be faithful to God and the gospel and say, look, I can't tell you what to do. And I can't tell you what not to do. But I can tell you they'll be sipping Frosties in the lake of fire before this pastor gets up before his church and tells them to go out and take a vaccination. I'm not forcing my people into that nonsense. They can choose to do what they want to. And I wouldn't even say something if he wasn't such a political, religious, spiritual, polarizing figure. He's a good man, a gospel-preaching man, a Jesus-loving man. But he is capital D dead wrong on this issue. Um, yeah, so his, his Frosties in the lake of fire is one of his I do, uh, one of I his do think I know why he says Frosties there. instead of, like, McFlurries. Because even in hell, McDonald's mm. ice cream machines are always fucking broke. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, of course he's also anti-vaccine. Of course he is, because uh, other conservatives are, and he wants to make sure he maintains his level of support. Yes, yes. So, I will point out that, according to my research here, and this was also pulling from the Tennessean News website, that in September of 2021... The COVID numbers in Tennessee were the highest per capita of any state in the U.S. So I'm not saying that there is any direct correlation here, but there is, is certainly some influence that his large, maskless, no social distancing meetings probably had on that, uh, that statistic. One could say it may have been a factor. Yes, indeed, indeed. Now, we're going to bring this 
dive to its greatest depth here. And this is his post-January 6th sermon. And this is where... Oh, this is where we go full QAnon. So strap in, everybody. Uh, I've also broken this long clip down into shorter clips that we can address one by one. So let's go ahead and get started with the first of these excerpts from Locke's post-January 6th sermon. Everything that we are seeing right now currently is only, and I emphasize, only one-sided. People are being fed nonsense. We are being fed a one-sided narrative. And I used to wonder, how in the world could you get the entirety of the planet to believe the same lie? And yet here we are right now. Now, I mean, out of context, I think I can probably agree with everything he said in that. Yeah, out of context. Yeah, It is one-sided. And uh, they are being fed uh, a lot of nonsense. On his point of how do you get the entire planet to believe the same lie, I'm like... You're a preacher. You're in that business. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> uh, okay, so pressing on, he makes some very interesting claims in this next clip. I was in Washington, D.C. when this whole thing went down, and you were being lied to. I was there. I sat from here to that wall right there to the president. He did not incite violence. This was a setup from the word go, ladies and gentlemen. They knew that we were going to be there willing to fight. They knew that people were going to be there willing to stand. And I was there on the steps in front of a million people with a bullhorn on top of a trailer leading a prayer rally. And I'm here to tell you, I watched what happened. It's not just the video footage. That stuff is not fake. It is undeniable and irreconcilable with the nonsense that Fox News and CNN and Twitter and Facebook is purporting right now. They were let in the gate. They were let in the door. And the people that were trying to knock the windows out and tear stuff up were actually pulled down by the Trump supporters and scolded and rebuked and told not to do that. So the people breaking the windows uh, were pulled down and rebuked by the Trump supporters. And they were let into the building. They were not using bike racks as battering rams to, uh, to bust down the doors. Right, right. Yeah, it's not my fault that I punched you. It's your fault for not blocking it. It's your fault for your face being in front of my fist. Right, yeah, you didn't duck. It's not my fault. Yeah. Um, so who, who Jesse, was responsible for this? Well, let's, uh, let's hear what Greg Locke believes. Oh, obviously it was Antifa. <laughs> Do you realize how many millions of us have rallied for months and months and months? We've never set anything on fire. We've never killed anybody. We've never burnt stuff, looted stuff, stole stuff. And you expect me to believe when you get all them people together that all of a sudden some insurrection is going to mount and we're going to start killing people and storming the Capitol building and tearing stuff down. It was a provable setup from the word go. It was used by all of these so-called Republicans to then stand up and say, well, we were going to vote against the certification of the election. It was a setup from the word go. I watched it with my own two God-given eyeballs. It was peaceful over a million people. Not one problem. Not, not even one. Not one problem. It was an infiltration from Antifa and BLM. I'm telling you, right. an infiltration. I was there. I watched the whole thing go down. There was no redneck MAGA insurrection. It was infiltration from the word go. And you listen to me. These people have been bought and paid for. Yeah, right. Yes. Right. Uh, Antifa and BLM were the real <laughs> terrorists and insurrectionists on January 6th. Right, because the dude that dressed up in the in the the horns shaman outfit, yeah. 
Yeah, the shaman outfit painted his face and was carrying around a Trump flag. Yeah, that guy was Antifa for sure. Yep, and all of the people with confirmed social media profiles ranting about Trumpism and and organizing weeks ahead of time to attend the rally. Those were definitely all Antifa and BLM protesters as well. Looking at it in in hindsight with like the January 6th hearings and stuff going on now and how like the testimony that the Proud Boys leader made about how like they're planning in advance, it just really casts a whole different light on this particular rant. Oh, I, I failed to mention earlier when we were talking about the racial issues, but there are there are photos of Greg Locke posing with Proud Boy groups. I don't find that hard to believe in the slightest. Nope, neither do I. Uh, let's go ahead and continue here because uh, now he's going to start channeling Alex Jones, <laughs> believe it or not. Did you see me show that video the other day of Mitch McConnell? Mitch McConnell, six times in a seven and a half, almost eight minute speech, he was coaxed the entire time by two masked up men behind him with hand gestures and hand signals. Now, I know that the idea of the Illuminati and the conspiracy theories are so fantastical and so UFO'd to the max, and QAnon has not done us any favors by all this time travel nonsense, but at the end of the day, what they've done is they've taken those of us that believe in certain things and they've made it so conspiratorial that it makes us look like idiots and nonsensical fools when we say anything about it. But I'm here to tell you, there's a group of elitists that run this nation, a group of globalists that run the world, and their money runs it. And I'm going to tell you something, it is nothing more than a satanic death cult. And the clearest thing I've ever seen in my life is when Mitch McConnell gets off track, he turns around and the guy behind him gives him the Illuminati hand signal of authoritarianism to make sure he stays on track. Just remind that sucker, we're still in control, we're still paying your bills, and you do anything against what we say, and we'll make sure nobody finds your body, Jimmy Hoffa. Wow, he even got the Jimmy Hoffa conspiracy <laughs> He even yeah. went all the way back yeah. to the Teamsters. Wow, that's a... <laughs> yes, he's bringing a bunch of conspiracy theories together here. QAnon... Illuminati, the Masons, we'll hear in this next clip. It is happening. Satanism has infiltrated the highest positions in the land. Child sex trafficking has infiltrated the highest positions in the land. Pedophilia, child sacrifice, not just abortion, I mean the whole deal. It is everywhere and we are not paying attention. But we watched plain as day those people give the hand signal to make sure he stays on track. So here we go. The Masonic Lodge is the most devilish cultic organization in the face of God's word. It's a nefarious, wicked, low-down, sorry, anti-God organization that this church will never have any part of whatsoever. It is part of the globalist elites. It's a part of the Illuminati, and it has been used to silence preachers all over America. And if you don't believe that, you'd be bopped under the wrong white tent this morning. The Masonic Lodge is a stupid boys club where you go to get cheap beer. (laughs) Our listeners should be able to hear from our previous clips how, at least in the beginning, he seemed, you know, almost reasonable. Like you could could put yourself into the headspace of the people who might share some of his opinions. But then you see just how far we've come from that. And there's, there's still further depths to plunge here. So let's, uh, let's continue. Oh, Lord. Then politicians are bought and paid for. They are bought and paid for. Listen, they don't even hide it anymore. It's like plain sight. So let me go one step further on this whole deal because last week I got a lot of heat for some of the things that I said. Because I, I felt real stupid, to be honest with you. I felt kind of willy-nilly weird whenever I called out Mike Pence from the platform and I said, you mark my words, he's going to betray the president. 
And everybody's like, oh my goodness, we can't amen that. We're talking about Mike Pence, the most godly, gospel-filled, moral, valued uh, individual in the whole White House. And I'll be honest with you, I used to think that too. People say, well, he didn't have the authority to do it. You better read a constitution. He had all the authority to do it. There's a reason he didn't do it. No, actually he didn't. Nope. And the constitutional lawyers and constitutional scholars that the January 6th hearings have been consulting have proved that point. Now, I hope they got a better chess play than what they're playing right now. They're not just playing the hand that's been dealt. They've been dealt a specific hand, and they're trying to dismantle this nation. And yet people are like, well, pastor, what you just need to do is get into Romans 13 compliance. And when Joe Biden is inaugurated, you just need to pray for him, and you just need to submit. You just need to find you another church of what you need to do, because I ain't doing none of that nonsense. You've lost your mind. I ain't kissing the ring of baby killers. I ain't kissing the ring of pedophiles. I ain't kissing the ring of people that bring witchcraft into the White House, into the church house, into your house, and into this nation. I ain't kissing their ring. They don't own me. Hmm. Now, we're going to try to power through the last couple of clips here, and I doubt there's much of anything you or I could add to demonstrate just how far off the reservation he's gone at this point. Right. Like, at this point, he's going to speak for himself. There's not really any commentary yes. we can give that's going to make him sound any worse. Like, he's he's going to do all the work for us, so let's just go right ahead. And again, when he's in front of a crowd of people, you know, he loosens up. We'll put it that way. And I said, look, we better step some stuff up around here. Just by virtue of the fact that I was in D.C. the other day, you would be shocked, shocked at the death threats we've already got against me in this church. Now, you ain't got to be nervous about that. We got heaters and guns all over the place, praise God. It's going to be all right. Dangerous times are upon us. I mean, Twitter has already deplatformed deplatform the President of the United States, Rush Limbaugh, anybody that's got a voice. They've already taken away 15,000 followers from my account, which is, you know, small potatoes. But at the end of the day, they're going to keep on and whittle down and whittle down and whittle down. And so then everybody's like, let's go to Parlor, right? And you ought to stay there, by the way. Parlor's going to be okay. It's just going to take them a week or two to get back on track. But Parlor's a great place. You can say just about anything that you want to as long as it's not illegal and you can get away with it and they won't deplatform you because they still believe this is America. The commies don't own them. Mark Zuckerberg is a communist. <laughs> Jack at Twitter is a communist. Bunch of devil worshiping, adrenochrome drinking, baby killers is what they are. I'm telling you, it's the facts. Every one of them admitted it. Every last one of them. I'm done with them. They ain't going to intimidate me. That's all there is to it. Delta Airlines, well, we just won't let you fly. Keep your stupid mask. I don't care if you let me fly or not. Something I consistently hear from Greg Locke here and from many of his ilk is the blanket term communist being used as a stand-in for authoritarianism or totalitarianism. Whatever they disagree with. And it's, it's meant to short-circuit and diffuse any critical thinking on a situation. Right. There was um, Yeah, go ahead. There was a politician by the name of McCarthy, you might remember. Oh, yeah. That uh, this seems to be a pretty direct callback to. And here's the thing. Let's think back to the previous episode when we were discussing the racial issues and he was complaining about the left misusing the term racism as a cudgel against conservatives and Republicans. He's doing the exact same thing here. Not only is it a misrepresentation of communism. Right. And look, I'm not defending communism. I'm just saying that's not the definition of communism. Mm -hmm. You know, you could say that communism is authoritarian ultra-left politics and economics in the same way that fascism is authoritarian ultra-right economics and politics right. it's the it's the political horseshoe theory yes exactly exactly so there's the potential for authoritarianism on both sides but what he's describing is not communism what he's describing is authoritarianism mm-hmm. but of course communism 
three syllables instead of authoritarianism, eight syllables. It's easier, and it's a buzzword that Americans have been conditioned to react to in a certain way. Yes, especially conservatives, yeah. So let's go ahead with the last couple of clips here. Still three more. Let's, let's do it. We can do it. Mm-hmm. We can do it. Almost there. Almost to the bottom of the rabbit Almost. So I'm still going to tell you right now, based on what I know, and based on deep levels of conviction, that at this point I'll die for. Donald Trump will remain the president of the United States for the next four years. He will. (laughs) Whether you like that or not, whether you believe that or not, whether you accept that or not, you're not paying attention. He will. He will. So this is why all this impeachment nonsense has crept back up. Get him out quick. Get him out quick. Get him out quick. Get him out quick. It's a smokescreen. Because if they get him out quick, he can't leak all the information that he has, and he's got a whole lot of it. It's going to burn the whole swamp slap to the ground. I sat 30 feet from the guy. I'm telling you, he knows what he's doing. He didn't start any of this, but I can assure you he's going to finish all of it. One other small point that we can probably agree with. Uh, Trump definitely did know what he was doing on January 6th. Let's just put it that way. Actually, we, we know pretty much in detail exactly what he knew. <laughs> yeah, and we're, we're learning more and more about that each week as the hearings continue. His own daughter rolled on him. Come on. So sad. So sad. Good grief, people. Push back. Fight for your family. Fight for your church. Fight for your rights. You say, well, you shouldn't use the word fight. No, I mean you ought to fight what I mean. You see, here's what's going to happen if they pull this heist off. Did you know they've already said that within the first month, they're going to make Washington, D.C. a separate state? And guess what? They're also going to do that to Puerto Rico. You know what happens when they add a state? They get two more senators in each one. Two more leftist Democrat senators, which means then they can pack the courts, fill it to overflowing, push out all the Republicans, most of which are a bunch of rhinos anyhow, need to be pushed out. But they're going to pack the courts, and you say, well, I don't ever think they're going to take away our First Amendment. They're not going after the First Amendment. They're going after the Second Amendment, because once they disarm all of us, then they'll shut all the churches down. (laughs) Yes, it'll be a cold day in hell. And since there ain't going to be no cold days in hell, I think we got enough patriotism under this tent to turn this world upside down if we quit being a bunch of cowards. Okay, one more. I can't control what Donald Trump does. I can't control what happens in the swamp. I can't control what's happening in D.C. I can't control parlor, but I can have some control over what we see and understand and get and believe around here. I got a responsibility to make sure I tell the church the truth. I got that responsibility to make sure you know the truth. The church is still going to see revival in America. God's still going to thin out the ranks and raise up an army. It's going to raise up an army. And it's not that he's going to do it. I believe that he is doing it right now in our midst. Uh, God will raise up an army, he says. Well, and he's responsible for bringing the truth to mm-hmm. his parishioners. Right. Well, the, the whole, like, army of God and spiritual warfare thing, these are, like, mm. very, very common evangelical Christian tropes. Like, it's the, yes. the, the language, whether metaphorical or literal, to incite believers to action of some kind and these things can't really or shouldn't really be construed as a call to violence but not everyone is going to interpret it that way but nonetheless there's a very clearly militarized language being expressed right and 
let's not forget that to the people who are exposed to this kind of rhetoric on a regular basis, there is a cumulative effect. The, yes. the more and more you are exposed to this, the more and more receptive to it you will be. And I think that that could be part of the explanation for why he seems to get more and more radical as time goes on, because his congregation, the people who follow him, are allowing him to be. It's a feedback loop. They're responding to the more outrageous things he says, and in doing so, he says more outrageous things, and then they continue to respond to the outrageous things he says, and on and on and on. So, as our listeners know, I'm not religious. I disagree with religious worldviews. I'm also not a conservative, and I disagree with the conservative worldview. But I know enough about these people to empathize with them and to put myself in the mindset of someone on the Christian right. And it's because of that fact that I think we made the right decision to focus on Greg Locke for the culmination of our discussion on white Christian nationalism. Because there are more extreme hate preachers that don't censor themselves in the ways that I believe Locke censors himself. And again, that's just my opinion. So from the perspective of someone on the Christian right, I can understand how the things he says speak to these people and appeal to their worldview. I can understand how they gravitate towards the things that he says. In that sense, he represents a more mainstream, ultra-conservative Christian right figure. And that's the point. If these people see him as representative of the mainstream, ultra-conservative Christian right, I can understand their attraction to him. And as he falls down the rabbit hole, he's pulling a lot of these people down with him. And that's what concerns me so much, not just about Locke himself, but with the entire Christian right movement. And let's be honest, Greg Locke is not the most influential pastor in America these days. But the same rhetoric, the same talking points, the same calls to potentially violent action are being repeated by even more mainstream preachers and is galvanizing the religious right in ways that I think are bordering on religious extremism. So, as Jesse mentioned earlier, Locke's Twitter account has been banned, and he's also had his 501c3 tax-exempt status rescinded. And both of those are a result of the clip that we're about to play here. This is from the Newsweek article that Jesse had included in his notes. Um, and it looks like I might have to get on my VPN here real quick. Let me do that. You can do it. <laughs> All night long, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've been recording for four hours and 20 minutes. Nice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have not gotten high yet today just so I could keep myself. No, but how many of those beers have you gotten through so far? Three. It's all good. I spent quite a bit of evenings drinking after going through these hours of videos. <laughs> all right. So this will be the last specifically politically oriented Greg Locke video clip that we're going to play here for our listeners and again, this was the impetus for his Twitter account being banned and for his 501c3 tax-exempt status to be rescinded. I'm to the place right now, if you vote Democrat, I don't even want you around this church. You can get out. You can get out, you demon. You can get out, you baby butchering election thief. 
You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. I don't care how mad that makes you. You get pissed off as you want to. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. They are God-denying demons that butcher babies and hate this nation. Hey, we want to talk about the insurrection. Mm. Let me tell you something. You ain't seen the insurrection yet. You keep on pushing our buttons, you low-down, sorry, compromisers. You God-hating communist America. You'll find out what an insurrection is because we ain't playing your garbage. We ain't playing your mess. My Bible says that the church of the living God is an institution that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the Bible says that we'll take it by force. That's what the Bible says. Now, between his earlier QAnon rants and this egregious example of right-wing conservative Christian batshittery, I don't think anybody should be confused about why I personally feel this is extremely dangerous. This isn't some loony on the street corner with a sandwich board screaming about the end of the world. This is, this is a guy who's taken seriously by his followers and is motivating them to take more and more extreme forms of political action. Uh, really, un unfortunately, as we mentioned at the beginning, he has quite a social media platform and he reaches many, many people with this rhetoric. And we've seen how he has gone from being a relatively, quote-unquote, reasonable, ultra-conservative, religious right figure into this frothing-at-the-mouth Christian nationalist nut job. And this really just goes to show how people who might not necessarily share the same stances on nationalism and racism and immigration policy and economics are tacitly aligning themselves with people who do espouse these more extreme views. And as Jesse mentioned, it, it has a cumulative effect. It builds, it builds, and builds. And in the end... Even though Greg Locke has not explicitly called for the execution of homosexuals or things of that nature, allowing this movement to continue to grow and to continue to metastasize in American <laughs> politics will empower people who do espouse that kind of extremist rhetoric. And that is the end game. That is... The inevitability we need to do our best to avoid, and the only way to do that is to reinforce the separation of church and state and prevent these people from ascending further along the, the chain of power and, and getting greater and greater influence in our country. Because they talk about the slippery slopes of you know, the LGBTQ agenda, but the real slippery slope here is the slippery slope of a descent into theocracy and religious extremism. So, Jesse, are there any sort of closing thoughts you have on this? On Greg Locke or the, the whole white Christian nationalist thing? We're kind of trying to put a bow on the whole topic right. for, for now. I did, have, um, I did have a brief conclusion paragraph that I had typed out, if you don't sure. mind. Sure. Um, yep, go ahead. From an angry, scared little boy lashing out irrationally in search of attention to a hellfire and brimstone Baptist preacher, Locke has displayed one consistent trait, preying on the fear of others. As a child and a young man, he made others fear him. 
As an adult, he makes his followers fear baby killers and Democrats. Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> One thing remains the same no matter how much time passes. This man does not represent the words of Jesus whom he claims to serve. He most certainly does not seem to love his enemies, and there seems to be no indication of doing good to those who harm him. He does not turn the other cheek, and he preaches a message of exclusivity, not the inclusive gospel of Jesus that admonished his followers to make disciples of all nations. His ideas are un-American, un-Christian, and predatory on the fear and ignorance of his congregation. He stands as the most visible exemplar today of how vile and twisted an otherwise good man can become who has spent his life filling the void left by neglect and abuse with the increasingly extremist rhetoric of the religious right. Make no mistake, his message has caused incalculable damage to our social discourse, and his voice has served to help radicalize a generation. He is, however, but a symptom of the wider problem. We are on a steep slide down and to the right. He just gave us a little push. Now, I want to thank any and all of our listeners who had the time and patience to join us all the way to the conclusion of this journey into right-wing Christian nationalist insanity. I'm sure all of us in recent years have personally witnessed friends and family members make similar descents down rabbit holes of conspiracy theory and extremist rhetoric. And we want to express our solidarity with you and your efforts to remain strong in the face of the madness going on right now. Let's be honest. Things will get worse before they get better. The Supreme Court has already demonstrated their willingness to capitulate to the whims of evangelical Christians by overturning Roe v. Wade, allowing religious institutions to receive federal funding, as well as most recently allowing for school officials to lead prayers in public schools. And this is only the beginning. The civil rights of our LGBTQ friends and family are already being targeted, as is the right to use contraception. Regardless of your political affiliation, regardless of your faith, we must stand for the preservation of the constitutional separation of church and state, because to fail to do so will result in the loss of centuries of civil, intellectual, and moral progress. And on that somber note, we're going to bring this episode of Unheard Voices to a close. This has been Andrew Manier. And this is Jesse Burridge. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. Stay strong. And we'll talk at you again soon.